The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK and it's a big pod today. We're going to discuss Fulham's second 0-7 win of the season at Reading on Tuesday night, which takes Fulham back into the top two of the championship. I can't believe what I'm saying. I was flabbergasted the first time we won 7-0 on the road. The fact that we done it twice in the same season the first ever team to do it since 1895-96 is absolutely astonishing so much to get through in today's pod there were so many talking points from yesterday's game but of course it is not all fun and games this is a work event and joining me today our thursday club regulars jack collins hello listeners peter rutzler hello guys and as it's a special pod, we thought we'd get a fourth opinion. George Cooper, hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? Fine, thank you. And hey. I very much am <laughs> fine, thank you. You cannot see Fulham win 7-0 away from home and the next day not be fine, thank you. It's what a, bit, an a bit rude, actually. Like It's about as good as it gets in terms of football. And you're like, how was last night? Oh, fine, actually, yeah. Uh, it was better no. than fine, Sam. It was unbelievable. It was capital letters. Fine. Thank you. Um, Jack, let's do some three word reviews from last night. Right. So, I mean, there, there was a clear, a clear favorite here or everything. I'm going to have to start with it. I don't normally do this. I normally finish with the, like the Zenith, but I, it's so good that I'm going with it. Stefano Friani with 007. It's How good is that? It is Perfect. absolutely astonishing. It's really, oh, really good. I, I honestly think it may be up there as one of the greatest ever. Like, and that's high praise. We've had a lot of great three word reviews over the years and our old friend Richard Bamber, who gives us about 20 a game, will be upset. But that is a next level good three word review. Just a trivector of perfection. You've got the yeah. occasion, you've got the pun, you've got the execution, all three boxes ticked. So good. So, so good. And we, as we know, we love a, you know, boxes tick system at Fulham. So, you know, it really is. It really is. I thought, you know, little light reading was a little light reading um, was going to go down absolute storm. But, you know, absolutely. I've, I've got bow to a power far greater than my own. That was exceptional from Stefano. A couple of other ones. Um, Cheese FFC with Mad Stad Stat Pad, which I thought was good. Um, Patrick Brown with pure postponed pleasure. Uh, Thurb 62 with make sorry reading. Uh, Doug Eibling with touchdown Fulham Jaguars uh, and Fulham home runs with no dry January. Um, very, very good. I enjoyed them. There was lots of good ones last night. There's a lot of puns you can do with, re- with Reading and Royal. So, yeah. you know, you, you're going to get you're going to get some things in. But yeah, it was um, the Stefano one blew me away. So good. So, so good. Um, so I put it on Twitter last night and I said, am I allowed to play the horn? And no, I got a mix. No. I got a mixed response. I got a mixed response to it. And obviously some people were like, yeah, yeah, do it. But a lot of you said no. And I was kind of leaning towards no myself. But I feel like scoring seven goals needs something. So not a horn, but I have made a special sound effect for whenever Fulham scores <laughs> seven goals. <laughs> And I hope to wheel it out maybe a couple more times this season. <laughs> and next. Why not? And next. So without further ado, 
Here is the new seven goal sound effect. Seven! <laughs> You've got way We're too much time the... on your hands. I do worry about you sometimes. Not really sure what I was expecting there, to be honest. But um, yeah. Bit of Len Goodman, drum roll and a cheers. So that's yeah. the new seven goal sound effect. Fantastic. But the horn can come back into action if we win against Bristol City and we win against Birmingham because that will be three wins in a row and that would be Fulham top of the league no matter what. So if there's nothing else to cheer about in the next two games, <laughs> if there was no other motivation for you to support the lads in the next couple of matches, the fact that the horn can come back uh, should hopefully be the motivation that everyone needs. Marco, us, the team, whoever. Let's get into the game, Peter. History being made again. You you saw Fulham get, get seven goals up at Ewood Park. I remember not going that night and thinking to myself, I'll never see it. That, 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 that's something that has passed us by. I will never get the opportunity to watch Fulham score seven goals away from home. And here we are just over two months later and they've done it again. <laughs> Yeah, it's extraordinary. And I, th- I think it was Dom who came on the podcast and was was basically saying, look, you know, these you've got to try and get to games because this is quite a, a, a special Fulham team and you're going to get some special nights like this. And I think the stat you read out at the start, Sammy, I mean, it just just sums it up. You know, it's it's unprecedented in the modern era in modern football. I think, you know, Marco Silva was very much playing it down afterwards, but even he said, you know, it's quite hard to do that in this day and age to get a scoreline like that. And you know, to score seven goals away from home without reply, twice in a season and we're barely halfway through. It's it's ridiculous, to be honest. Um, and to, after the first half, you probably didn't really see it coming because, you know, the first half wasn't exactly a uh, a dominant display. And then second half, just the floodgates opened. And um, it's, <laughs> it's it's really hard to digest, to be honest. I mean, uh, especially compared to how, how few goals we saw last season. Um, but just how how good Fulham can be, you know, how when they're on it, um, they they are just irrepressible. They are unstoppable, and they're just so horribly ruthless. You know, nothing's lost when nothing was lost on anyone when um, Marco Silva turns to Rodrigo Muniz and you're six 0 up already. I mean, come on, for a second striker, not even to take off Mitrovic or anything like that. I mean, it's it's brutal. Um, but you know, but we love it, and it's uh, it's great to watch and. Um, you just got to get to some of these games. I know recent form wasn't great, but this team does have the potential to do it. And it's, um, <laughs> yeah, an extraordinary night. I mean, George, everything fell for Fulham last night. A, Reading being utterly terrible, but also Scott Dan's injury after six minutes definitely changed the game as well. And just the way that it went, Fulham got into the lead and it was a, it was a mistake from the Reading fullback, but also the fact that, that we saw the Andy Carroll disallowed goals. There was the penalty shout on Andy Carroll, which was dubious. Very, very, we got lucky there. And then for Fulham to score right before half time, the first half played into our hands massively and set up what was an astonishing performance in the second half, but you don't get the second without some of the luck or maybe lucky breaks that we got in the first. Oh, 100%. And you look at that Tosin challenge on Carroll and if it was a stonewall penalty, even from the limited angles that you get on the little two-minute replays that you get on YouTube. It, and when we were there at the night, everyone just was like, that was a, that was a penalty. We, it would have changed the whole dynamic of the game. And we were very, very lucky. And I remember those the bicycle kick from Andy Carroll. I don't know why he's trying to attempt to um, emulate his hero, Rodrigo Munoz, with, with such <laughs> acrobatics. But it was 
a blinding, obviously offside, but an absolutely incredible finish. And it was, you know, I remember we were all just laughing. It was a beautiful moment, you know, when those things go your way at football. And then for 60 seconds later, for him to score, which I think is arguably the better goal of the two, the way he just controls it on his chest and wallops it. Rodak standing there with his, you know, absolutely left for dead. There's no way he's getting is he, anywhere is near Is he standing that. there though, George, because the offside flag goes up about 20 seconds beforehand? I like... thought that, but I I do think that he wouldn't have, it would have been, I, I know, it, it makes you look like you're stranded when, you know, the, the, the play has been called. But however, I do think that that's going in regardless, even, even if he does try to attempt to make it. It was an amazing, amazing strike. Um, but yeah, no, we're very lucky. I remember turning to you, Sammy, that on the evening and after we saw those two Andy Carroll disallowed goals saying, this is already worth the trip. This is already <laughs> worth the trip to Reading on a Tuesday night. And then, but yeah, I think arguably the most important of one of those three is uh, the, the penalty just before half time because it just gives Fulham that extra buffer. And if we're going into the second half with a one goal lead and anything happens, the thing we said at the time with that Reading team is that they feel like a five-a-side team they have two good players and just three ringers who are just absolutely diabolical. <laughs> they had the feel of a team that perhaps in the first half could have nicked a goal. But um, yeah, that that goal that Mitrovic got with the penalty just gave us that buffer. It gave us the confidence to move on and, you know, really turn some screws and and punish Reading. But yeah, it could have, the first half was was definitely pivotal. I will disagree with you on the second Andy Carroll goal. I'm here with Jack that I think Rodak would have saved that. I don't think it was that good a strike. It wasn't that into the corner and Rodak had completely stopped. Even in the ground, we knew already before he struck that, that that was an offside. The uh, The overhead kick, we had no idea. I had my head in my hat. I had my, my hands on my head going, oh shit, <laughs> when, that, when he scored that one. And then the, the juxtaposition of instantly the flag going up, which shut up those Reading fans, which who were to the right of us, was absolutely glorious. Um, Jack, just your overall reactions to Fulham doing this again. Some of the football in the second half, my favourite is that Mitrovic pass to, to Harry Wilson, which then sets up Niskins Cabano. But that is just the tip of the iceberg of some of the brilliant stuff we played in the second half. Yes, Reading fell apart. Yes, they were woeful, but it was mesmeric and the expected goals from Fulham being over five. Yeah, you still got, it it doesn't kind of matter who's up against you. There's two sides of this, right? One is it doesn't matter who's up against you. You've got to beat them and you don't need to do what Fulham do to teams. You know, you see teams ease off when they've, when they've put a game to bed and Fulham could have eased off and no one would have hugely blamed them. I don't think considering the amount of fixture pile up that we have going on over the next couple of weeks, right? So if Fulham had taken it easy, the, the weird thing is that I actually think that Fulham did did take off the turn off the gas, uh, did sort of stroke the ball around, did kind of play things in in second gear, and still were just this much better than Reading, which is a good sign. Reading were bad though, like really quite poor. You know, from the moment where Laurent passes it across his own box to gift Harry Wilson the you know the the opener, and yes, he's playing out of position. Yes, he's dropped back in to centre back because Scott Dan goes offshore. There's mitigating circumstances if you're a Reading fan I'm sure but ultimately from that moment it was like Fulham are going to lose this game this is a Reading side depleted of of confidence who are shot who want their manager out in terms of the the kind of vote around the ground who are furious with their chairman the whole you know vibe around the club 
is just one big negative at the moment from from what kind of we're hearing, what we're reading. So therefore, the moment that they gave away a stupid goal to you know to let Fulham into the lead, you kind of look at it and go, well, that's probably that, isn't it? And and ultimately, yes. Perhaps a little bit lucky. I don't think it's quite as stonewall as as Coops was saying there. I didn't think it was quite like that. Um, I didn't think Wilson's one was either. They were both, uh, you know, probably on the edge of penalties for me. But if neither of them had given or both of them had given, been given, I don't think anyone would have had too many complaints. Um, it was what it was. And ultimately, as soon as Fulham cruised into that lead, started you know stroking the ball around in the second half, just too good for them. And and that is what it came down to. And, and you can look at that and go, after five or six, it was kind of, let's try and poke holes in this. And suddenly they're chasing, trying to counter, trying to find breaks, and they're leaving themselves exposed. And it was a little bit like what happened to Blackburn, right? You know, sometimes at, at three, four nil down, what you're supposed to do or what you're told you're supposed to do is shut up shop. Right. Just, you know, Blackburn had 10 men, so it's a little bit different, but shut up shop, tuck in. Fulham were just too good. And even when Reading tried to do that, even at half pace, Fulham were finding gaps. And, and, and that's a good sign going forwards. Yeah, Peter, I actually had a feeling at half time that the floodgates might open here because you got the sense from everything that's happened in the last six weeks not being able to play matches and then the five games before that where we drew a load of games and then lost to Sheffield United that Fulham had a point to prove last night to themselves maybe not really to the rest of the league I'm too they don't really care what anyone else thinks but I think there was a point to prove internally that we are still the top dogs in this division we still are the team to fear and maybe a little bit out of that element of fear of playing Fulham had, had gone out the window because teams had started to get positive results against us um, and, and from that point of view, if Fulham are a confidence team, and we seem to be one this year, we seem to win in streaks, then I'm hoping, and I'm not counting on it, but I'm hoping this is the start of another run. Yeah, I mean, well, after the Blackburn game, the run wasn't great after that point, was it? I think that's that'll be interesting to see just how Fulham kick on from here. I think it was 10 points from 21 available after the game. Um, so for, for sure, I mean... For sure, in the sense of coming after uh, the recent run, and I think you're right. I think we kind of got a sense of the frustration and uh, of of one not being able to to play during this period, especially when it's not your own fault with with these postponements. Um, but then also just not being able to rectify a defeat, you know, rectify what had been an unbeaten run. It had been eleven games unbeaten. Yes, it was four draws, but you're still unbeaten. Uh, suddenly, that being transformed into to five. Uh, without a win and you got that sense from I think Harry Wilson's comments afterwards to to the Fulham channels and Kenny Tetta as well and unfortunately for for Reading they they were on the receiving end of that I do agree with what Jack was saying about the troubles at the Medeski uh, sorry the select car leasing um, <laughs> rolls off the tongue doesn't it, it seven cars are leasing oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would have been a good three-word review that would have been good that would have been good um but yeah, I mean, they, they've got some real issues there. Obviously, they came off the back of that defeat to, to Kidderminster, not only Kidderminster at the weekend. Um, I think they had some absences. Obviously, they were hit by a COVID outbreak themselves. So I'm sure there are some mitigating factors there. But when it, it really was, you know, waving the white flag time here, we're, we're really not that bothered. It, even in that first half, and I, I, can, I can see where you're coming from, Sammy, about potentially seeing the floodgates opening. Um, it was peculiar in the way they dealt with Fulham. Um, they didn't really press. They, they didn't really have a solid block. You know, there were there were moments where Fulham were really, 
I wouldn't say anywhere near second, third gear at times. And then suddenly they're just picking the ball up in the Reading 18-yard box. You know, Carvalho did it a couple of times. Wilson drifted in behind a few times in, in really dangerous positions. Um, and, and, you know, we, we saw Andy Carroll's quality and I, I genuinely thought he was unplayable at times in that first half. It was, it was very odd. Um, but I think, you know, that after that point, um, what once the goals go in, once the second goes in from the penalty, which, you know, I thought it was a penalty on first viewing and at that point you know Reading just sort of folded and when you have all of those circumstances then you have the the opportunity to put a team to the sword and, and Fulham are, are making a habit of that So go on then George what was your favourite out of the seven we probably haven't got time to go through all seven <laughs> goals in detail so maybe pick out one or two that particularly got the uh got the heart racing because I mean it, that second half where the when we were, we were in that end and the goals were just flying in and we were losing track it was just so fun that, that, there was about 20 minutes which was just the one of the most fun I've had at a football match just 3,000 Fulham fans behind that goal and just like goal after goal after goal and knowing that the seven was possible and it, it felt inevitable but yeah Pick out a couple of highlights from 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 the goals. I assume they're probably going to be from the second half. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so much fun. It's, it's games and evenings like that that keep you going back to away days time and time again. But to pick two, and it's like trying to choose your favourite children, it feels like. But the Tete's goal, where Mitrovic is completely unmarked on the edge of the area. What on earth the Reading defence are thinking, leaving him lurking around the uh, the edge of the area. And then he just absolute recoils his neck like a jackhammer and just fires the header in and then Tete just gets one on it's just lovely to see him get his first goal and you can see how chuffed and pleased he was and I, I guess like somewhat unexpected I don't know uh, yeah it's almost as if he wasn't expecting the the ball to be fired in like that it, it felt like it could have been a worked training ground move but also had a bit of luck just from the, from the look on Tessie's face it wasn't it was like he wasn't expecting it and then um, I loved the goal that Munoz set up for Mitrovic when uh, it's a bit of argy-bargy with Holmes and there was a bit of back and forth going there to then absolutely dispatch him with a quite beautiful kind of Cruyff turn and then you know use his pace and strength and get the shot on to then set up Mitrovic I particularly enjoyed the celebrations between the two of them as well you can tell this blossoming bromance that these two strikers have and I mean what I've, I've said it before but what a fantastic uh, role model for Muniz to have and it's great that you know he's, he's learning from Mitrovic but it was it was a special moment so my two goals to summarize my favorite ones were Tete's and uh and the, the seventh because we were just whipped up into a kind of giddy hysteria by that point. Um, so yeah, those are my favourite. Um, I mean, Tete's goal now means that of the 16 outfield players who have played more than 10 times this season for Fulham, only Harrison Reed and John Mikel Seri are yet to score, which is quite surprising when you look at the whole team now. The entire kind of regular back four or five that have played the most this season have all scored. That includes Dennis Adoy. Joe Bryan hasn't made 10 appearances yet, but uh, wouldn't put a goal past him at some point this season either. Who would be, if you if we were to have a little wager between the four of us, who would your money be on be uh, to, to break their duck before? Because Seri's got it in him. We've seen him with that rifle against Burnley that he got in his first season. He's he did got hit the shot in- he did hit the you know mm. comma of post and bar the other week as well, didn't he? Against in the Darby, Darby game. 
I just I'm starting to resign myself to the fact that Harrison Reed's just never going to score for us. He's building up his shot tally per game though, isn't he? He had a couple yesterday, and there was one from distance in the second half that, from the way I was sitting, it was flat on, so I couldn't see behind the goal. But it just looked like it was going to drift in, and I thought, oh, is this going to be his moment? But... Yeah, Southwood say it was de- it was a half decent save from Southwood actually off Harrison Reed. Harrison Reed also had quite a good opportunity. I felt like in the Bristol City match where it fell for him quite plumb. I mean, he was still from the edge of the box. It would have taken a good strike, but he kind of. Pulled it. I feel like Harrison Reed's working up to a goal. And Seri feels a bit like Kearney where actually I don't think he cares that much if he scores or not. I think he's more than happy just pulling the strings and, and he and will score consists. though. He'll just unleash one at some point. I bet you he scores like a, a free kick. Like, yeah. I bet it's just someone just gives him or a free a kick at some point and he just I can see Seri scoring a corner. It's correct. correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's called it's called an Olympic goal. Two of them happened in the same weekend earlier in the season in Italy and Spain. How about that? Do you think it would get to the point, Peter, end of the season, get a penalty, give Rodak the pen? Oh, maybe. But I, I guess it depends what Mitrovic is doing in the scoring charts, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, if he's on for awesome. 40. Yeah, if he's on for some big numbers, he's, he's not going to pass them up. So No, he's not. Um, Jack, let's talk about Harry Wilson. Yes. Five goal involvements. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Five, Five, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> Two goals, three assists, nearly a fourth assist in the way that he was his corner that eventually flicked to Tete. And Mitrovic's header might have been going in if it wasn't for Tete, or it was close anyway. So it could have nearly been six. It was only the last goal that Wilson, you definitely could say, wasn't involved in. Yeah. Um, and this is a player that, look, has been in and out of kind of popularity this season in terms of what he's been able to do. He's had bright moments. He's also had games where it's kind of drifted past him. Last night definitely wasn't one of them. Um, and, no. and yeah, he looked absolutely terrific. I, I'd love to know some stats. There can't be many players that have ever had five goal involvements. He, uh, Harry Kane had one last year against Southampton, didn't he? Where he got four assists and a goal. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, look, he, he was excellent last night. And yet he still probably should have had two more. Um, which which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, that sounds absolutely nuts that we're having that conversation. But he misses one where he goes through one-on-one and he sort of tries to dink the keeper and it ends up with Niskins trying to get to it back post. He probably should score there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's another one in the second half that kind of falls to him and you go, oh, he's going to hit this? And he doesn't. Um, so obviously I'm not criticising. I just made to make that clear. You, you, yeah. you don't get criticised if you get five goal in governments in a game. He was excellent. He was really, really good. Um, and, and look, you kind of... Kind of, you, you look at it and you think, how good can he be? And and the truth is, when he when he's on song and when the things are feeding him and he gets the right, you know, he gets that early moment of confidence, as we saw with the goal, right, where he's just able to stop at home and then suddenly he is a live wire, he is everywhere. But that combination play that we're seeing and you know down that right hand side, I think he's enjoyed having. Tete back alongside him last night. It looked like it, you know, to having those overlapping runs, being able to get back inside onto his, you know, favoured left foot. All of it felt like everything kind of fell into place for Harry Wilson. Now he needs to obviously go and show that against higher quality opposition than what we had last night because Reading's defensive output was quite frankly atrocious. But I mean, it's a great way to get yourself back into form and, and you can have no, no qualms with that as a 10 out of 10 performance. And I just want to give a shout out. And we talked about the goal, right? The Tete goal, but that corner is absolutely perfectly placed. It is training ground textbook, you know, being able to ping it the way that he does, where it basically stays flat onto Mitrovic's head, running on, on the edge of the area. That is a sensational ball, like an absolute worldy. 
of a to corner. To be fair, the, the Tosin one's not bad either, is it? No. I mean, I mean, we talked about how good Fulham, Fulham are from set plays and with, with Seri and with Wilson and, and Cabana as well. And I think if there was any mild concern that losing Seri would affect set plays, that was uh, absolutely Such dismissed rest, yeah. absolutely, uh, last 100%. night. The goal I really liked was the third one. Uh, and it was one that um, Silver picked out as well, just because of the way Fulham built us up and how we saw Anthony Robinson hit the byline and, and get across in. And I was sort of going into that game, and particularly in the first half as well, just watching how Tete and Robinson did. You know, it's the one area of the team I, you feel like you want more goal involvements. Now, we've talked on here before about how they are creative and they are creating chances in games, which means, you know, they're cross, their passes are leading to shots, which is important. But they haven't really had the same, like, Goal involvements, same number mm. of goals. Before um, last night's game, Tati and Robinson, who you'd probably call the, the first choice pair for fullbacks now, they've only managed four goal involvements together between them, which from 51 goals, and particularly in a silver team as well, doesn't feel like a lot. You know, looking back at when we first started talking about the type of team silver builds, whether it was Everton or going back to Olympiacos or Estrell, his fullbacks are really important, really important in terms of giving, giving width, but also like affecting the final third. Um, and it was that third goal was one of the only times we've really seen it um, for a little while anyway, where, where Robinson has hit the, hit the byline. And we saw it a little bit more. It was almost as if they were trying to do it. And part of me wondered maybe it was the size of the pitch because it did seem like quite a large pitch last night, um, which allowed them to have that whip. But it's that one area that Fulham really need to, to use frequently because the amount of times they come up against sides that sit deep. Um, and you just wonder if that could be maybe a confidence boost. I think Robinson, again, had sort of an indifferent game. I think in the first half, there were errors. And obviously, there was that really poor moment where he doesn't clear and Kamara does the back heel and Rodak has to pull off a, a world he oh, saved yeah. to, to keep the game, uh, to keep Fulham ahead. Um, but he can get forward. He can get into those spaces. And it's, if Fulham can do that, with both fullbacks doing that on either, either side, it can become overwhelming for teams. And in that second half, it happened. And I think that third goal really just, just deflated Reading. Yeah. I think after that, you knew it was curtains and it, and I was hopeful of a second half kind of mauling. And I really thought there was a possibility. The third goal was just, you knew after then that like, the, the Reading were going to collapse and, and that is exactly um, what happened. But yeah, I, I'm glad you remember that Rodak save actually, because it's easy to forget when you win seven nil kind of little moments like that. I mean, it was terrible from Robinson. It really was, but it's a wonderful save from, from Mary Rodak. And I guess in a team that's going to win seven nil uh, quite often, um, the goalkeeper probably isn't going to get the praise that maybe he's due, but he's certainly, you know, kept the game going really because as we mentioned from lots of the incidents that happened if that goes to 1-1 that becomes a much more difficult game I still think Fulham go on to win but not in the style and the and the swagger that we did right we're going to take a break there we have to we could talk about Fulham scoring seven goals forever but we've got lots to get on to and afterwards we're going to look ahead to Saturday against Bristol City Welcome to part two of the Fulhamish podcast Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler Hello Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And George Cooper. Hello. Plenty of good stuff on The Athletic. You can get 33% off the annual subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. There is, of course, Peter's take on everything that happened on Tuesday night uh, against Reading and, and all the antics and Fulham very much getting back to form in the most impressive way possible. Uh, but also today, Peter, uh, there's a piece on Adam Stansfield, uh, which is Jay Stansfield's dad uh, and the Adam Stansfield uh, Foundation. Uh, very important work that's uh, being done there. And I really enjoyed reading this piece. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I sat down and spoke with with some of uh, Jay's Jay's family, so and, and Adam's parents. For those of you who don't know, that Adam Stansfield passed away uh, in 2010 uh, from bowel cancer while he was still playing for Exeter City. And um, after his death, um, his family set up the Adam Stansfield Foundation, which you can find on Twitter. Um, they're always tweeting uh, about the auctions they're they're doing to to raise money. Um, and they talked about how they are now, you know helping so many different young people to to get involved in football and it talks about you know Adam's story and how he made such a strong impact on so many people that he met in the southwest of England and now as part of his legacy really the fact the family are now trying to take that on and, and help as many young people as they can in in all different ways it's really important work that they're doing and it's also a bit of um, background to to Jay and, and Jay's story. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of Jay now. Is he's been training with the first team all the time, and is, he is a, also a form of of Adam's legacy as well on the field. So it was a real privilege to to sit down with with uh, with his family and to talk about Adam in particular and, and the work they're doing. So yeah, would would recommend a read. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and as you say, uh, loads of great stuff uh, from Peter on The Athletic in the past few weeks. Uh, always worth a subscribe. Let's look ahead then to Bristol City on Saturday. Um, it's good that we had the Reading match in between. Otherwise, it would have been consecutive games uh, against the Robins and, and nothing against them. But uh, variety is the spice of life. Uh, but it's going to be a very different game to the Bristol City match that we had uh, seven days previous, which is Fulham's narrow 1-0 win in the FA Cup. Um, Jack, Bristol City are Fulham's bogey team. Uh, we do not do very well against Bristol City at Craven Cottage, it must be pointed out. Uh, they have a phenomenal record mm-hmm. uh, at Craven Cottage. It'd be a nice time to finally break the hoodoo. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, it, it's something that has stuck with us through good and through bad, which I suppose we can say we're consistent, if, if nothing else. Um, yeah, look, it goes back, I suppose, a, a couple of years, but it stands out to me that that game where Tammy Abraham scored twice in a 4-1 um, at the cottage where we felt like we were really outplayed and they, they felt like a really good side. Um, at that point, Bristol City were a very were a good side, right? And and they were just off the playoffs that year, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. They fell yeah. away a little bit. Um, but ultimately they have regressed since then and have kind of fallen back into championship obscurity. Uh, and yet Fulham seem to have this problem every time, well, every time they, they come to Craven Cottage. So yeah, a nice time to end it, I would argue. Um, but yeah. I think it's a it would be a good time. Often it feels like this is a game that's on a weeknight. I don't know if that's just me, but it's a yes. game that stands out as being a weeknight, you know, an evening game in midweek. So it's quite nice to have it at three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, the run against Bristol City at Craven Cottage is um, is mildly astonishing. I wouldn't exactly say it's the most incredible um, run that's ever been formulated, but they have won every game at Craven Cottage since 1997, including five in a row. Uh, one of those in the League Cup and then four uh, in the Championship in the four seasons that we've been down uh, in the Championship since uh, getting relegated from the Premier League the first time. So, yeah, it's uh, a a very interesting little run we have against them. Uh, And Peter, they were good in the FA Cup on Saturday. Like, they probably on balance deserve to win that match. Yes, it was a very different Fulham lineup, and particularly with the confidence that we might have got from this Reading game I think that we will be clear favourites to win this, but 
they weren't any pushovers in the game at Ashton Gate. They weren't real pushovers in the FA Cup, despite us getting the, the win. So I'm not expecting an easy game here. No, I think Bristol City deserve to win the FA Cup game. Um, it's, it's going to be a very different game on Saturday, though. And I think, obviously, the main difference is is, is the lineup that, that Fulham will, will play. I think even even in the Cup game, you saw the impact that the subs made, you know, introducing Alexander Mitrovic, introducing Harry Wilson, introducing Nathan Cabano, Tom Kearney. Um, and they really did actually flip the game because I thought Fulham were pretty average for for the most part. They did look extremely rusty, which we thought would happen uh, after the long break without competitive games. Um, but I think when you add in the fact that you know there were nine changes to the league game, a team that were pretty unfamiliar in, in a compet- competitive environment uh, with each other, um, maybe you could see why that happened. But once you started getting those players who are used to the rhythms of playing, the flows of playing, um, it just changed. The game changed very, very quickly. And in extra time, which was the only time really that Fulham were the better team, I'd, I'd say, um, they did enough. They had the edge and, and they did enough. Um, but, you know, Bristol City do have some good players. Um, as Jack was saying, they've, 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 they've regressed a little bit into the sort of the championship uh, middle, middle era, middle class, and they've had to change things. You know, financially, they, that comes with when you get close to a promotion push and you're not, you're not blessed with parachute payments. They've sort of had to re- redo things a little bit. It's a little bit tighter on the budgets and they're relying again on their academy and obviously Fulham know how good their academy can be with, with Joe Bryan and Bobby Decker Dovery. Um, and we saw a couple of those uh, last Saturday as well. Um, I thought Alex Scott was very good. Um, Cameron Pring, I think the other one um, did quite well as well. Um, so, you know, the, 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 there is, there is a reset there. They're, they are built trying to, to go again. Obviously last season was, was really poor for them. Um, but, you know, the, there is talent. And the one I'm thinking of in particular is, is Han Noah Masengo in, in the middle, who was superb um, against against Fulham. Uh, yeah, I know he's attracted a, a lot of attention um, from a, from bigger clubs as well. He was signed from Monaco as well. A champ, like he was playing in the Champions League and then, you know, ended, suddenly ends up at, at Bristol City. But um, there are threats in that team, as you say, Sammy. And I think the the performance that they gave shows that they can be good. Nigel Pearson... Set up with that three four one two. Clearly, you know he saw how effective it was when they switched to it in the reverse league fixture earlier in the season. You know that changed the game that day as well. So I expect to see that again. I expect to see that pose the same problems that we've talked about all season long. And it'll be up to Fulham to to try and to try and deal with that. Um, be uh, nice for Bristol fans to, to get on the road. Seven of their last nine matches have been uh, Ashton Gate uh, for, for Bristol City. The home so record's imagine... been abysmal as well, hasn't it? For, yeah, for so I imagine they'll be quite relieved to uh, finally <laughs> get out of Bristol. Uh, George, for Fulham, is it the case of you can't change a, a team that's just won 7 0? But then again, Marcus Silva does have fixtures to, to think about. Is there any area that you'd potentially look at changing? I was also, um, as, a, as a side point from the from part one, um, I thought Chalobah was good when he came on. So that is an option that, that Fulham have if we did want to switch things up in the middle. But surely, surely we stay the same. I think so, yeah. I'd be very surprised if there were any changes coming in. Um, yeah, very... You just can't make any... It was a solid performance all around. Other than the very few areas other than, you know, Robinson's... Um, but you know, I, I I would go the same same lineup, try and keep that momentum and uh, move forward from here. It seem it, it does seem to me like one of those games that's destined to be a nil nil draw after like coming off the back of a seven nil drubbing. 
but um, no, I'm very much looking forward to it and hopefully we can break the the run of bad results against Bristol at home. But I mean, yeah, as, as Peter and Jack said, they're a very, very well-organised side with Nigel Pearson and I think I don't think it'll be easy. It'll be a lot tougher than yesterday's match, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, and they are unbelievably inconsistent. You don't just have to look at their results this season and it's full of W's and L's and, and D's all, all over the place. One thing I would say on, on lineup, I'm, I'd be interested to see if Tom Kearney plays. I know it seems a bit, a bit, a bit daft to only play so well. And as George was saying, you know, <laughs> you don't change a winning team and, and, and maybe they won't. But it was just interesting when, uh, when I asked Silver before the game about what he would do and whether Tom Kearney could you know, come into the team now and, and play an important role. Because we've talked about how Kearney and Seri are sort of similar in terms of profile, in terms of how they play, in terms of you know, their, their dynamism and how they like to dictate the tempo of the game. And we saw Kearney do that superbly uh, on Tuesday night. Um, but he, his response to that wasn't necessarily to do with whether he could come in for Seri or anything like that. It was more to do with whether he can play 90 minutes after 90 minutes. Um, and he talked about how he, sometimes you have to manage that a little bit in training. Um, so I'll be curious to see whether whether TC can do that over this period because it will give us a sense of how he's sort of come back from from that knee injury. And of course, he hasn't had that consistency yet. It's been a long time since he's been able to play game after game after game. Um, so it would be interesting to see what he does there. But I mean, yeah, sorry. I mean, I can't see the team changing. I'm not advocating that TC to be changed. I'm just curious to see. No, I'd be interested to know though what Fulham would do if we didn't have TC, because you don't have Seri. So who would you play in that role? Can, can Chalaba fill that role? It'd be a different game, wouldn't it? I think if, if Chalaba comes in, he's a different, completely different profile. Um, you would assume Bobby. Bobby. But then it would be, you're relying on Fabio to, to take a more, more central role. And Fabio Carvalho, we haven't really seen the best of him for a little bit. Not since he's been out. He hasn't had the same spark since the start of the season. And, and obviously, you know, you, that, that naturally is to swirl in talk and speculation about whether everything around him is affecting him and, and, and blah, blah, blah. He hasn't been poor. I thought he was quite, it was pretty good on Tuesday night, but he hasn't had that same, you know, I'm thinking of the Millwall game. The Millwall game for me was, was, was the night that he really announced himself um, in, a, in an emphatic way. So, I mean, maybe there's an opportunity there for him. But I think, again, like maybe Kearney in a sense, getting a run of games helps and that's, that's probably what he's getting at the moment. Just doesn't seem to be falling for Fabio. I don't think it's anything particularly wrong with his performances and there's there's lots of players that just go through little gluts and as an FPL player I keep noticing at the moment that Bernardo Silva doesn't seem to ever score goals or get assists but he's absolutely pivotal to what Manchester City are, are doing right now but yeah it's one goal since um, August for, for Fabio and I mean, yes a lot of missed games but it just doesn't seem to be which I'm not I'm not overly concerned about just one of those things I mean that is an interesting point I mean Obviously, with Bernardo Silva, you probably associate that with De Bruyne's return, and that sort of changed his sort of role in in the team a little bit. And I and I wonder with with, with Fabio if his role, his role slightly changed a little bit, maybe in terms of how he's able to impact the games in the same way in those advanced areas. And maybe it would take a a, a Kearney to drop out for a little bit for him to then to do that again. But you know, as you say, he's not playing badly. I don't think <laughs> that's not the that's not the the point. I guess it's just having those you know goal returns, goal involvements, and Maybe it's similar to Wilson as well. You know, we talked it about Wilson having deep. those moments. So I, I don't know if that's if that's something that's just an eye test and wouldn't be wouldn't be brought up by the stats. But he feels a bit like he's just playing in a slightly more, you know, kind of deeper role. Um, not necessarily on purpose. He just feels like he's picking the ball up further from goal and not necessarily facing the goal. 
you know, when we were looking at him in those games where he was absolutely electric against Millwall um, and, and around that area in, in August, he was picking the ball a lot up and driving with it. And I still think we, he's maybe the only player we have that does that. Um, but he seems to be picking it up in a, in a far more kind of midfieldy area than kind of charging at the edge of the 18-yard box, which is where he was so effective scoring goals and and getting in goal involvement. So perhaps it's just a little bit of a, a subtle change in, in how he's approaching games. Um, and maybe, you know, with, with TC in there as well, I know obviously this hasn't been a, a regular thing, but TC there last night, just able to kind of drop a little bit and let TC thread uh, a little bit more out towards the, the wide players. It just keeps Carvalho a little bit more withdrawn. Um, so I, I mean, just something I kind of picked up from from watching him, but, but maybe it's just a, a slight tactical tweak in, in, in where we're at. Okay, right, we're going to take a break there and then we've got some time for your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James with George, Jack and Peter. Let's do some emails as ever. Hello at fulhamish.co.uk if you want to get in touch. We try and read uh, as many of them as come through. Uh, It's a very busy inbox, but we do try and uh, read and select as many of them as we can. Hello, first of all, to Matt Wall, who says, Hi, fellas, big fan of the pod and looking forward to tonight's discussion. One of the most enjoyable aspects of this season has been how goal crazed we've become after last year's drought which brought 27 goals and cautious football we are gorging ourselves whilst automatic promotion remains the only priority we also find ourselves in a race to be europe's top scorers we have 58 goals from 24 games that's about the same pace as manchester city which is 53 from 21 liverpool 52 from 20 and inter 51 from 20 our other two big threats for the european team golden boot are Bayern, who have 57 goals from 20 and Benfica, who have 49 from 17. What's clear is that Fulham supporters are being given more entertainment this year than almost every team across the continent. Here's hoping we can keep this up and be in the same company come the end of the season. Uh, And then a footnote, he says, Parker's championship team went up with 64 from the whole season. Cheers and come on you whites, Matt. So thank you for doing some stats for us. Um, I feel a little uncomfortable comparing us to top tier sides. I don't know if there are other second division teams that are probably also running away with their leagues, but I'm all, I can't, I can't complain at all. It is just an astonishing time to support Fulham. And there's some comparisons. We got one from, from Carl Kent saying, you know, at what point do we start really comparing this to the 2000, 2001 season? At that point is if we win the league, like it's as simple as that. No, but what about the enjoyment of that season? Like, yes, okay, we could finish third and that, I guess, would taint it a lot. You mean, I guess. <laughs> it would. It would, you know, it's, it's all well and good and having all the fun and, and games. But if you collapse, you can't collapse. You can't then compare this season to that one. We have to, you have to win the league if you're going to put these You can't just say, I, 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 I reserve my um, opinion on whether I'm enjoying myself until no, enjoy we've got your, the trophy. Enjoy <laughs> yourself loads. Just hold on the comparison to afterwards, I think. That's this is simple. Like, no, you can still enjoy yourself without having, I don't come out of games after we've won 5-1 at home thinking, I wonder how the Tagana team would have done at that point. Um, I, I was like, that was good, wasn't it? Like, it, it doesn't need to be a direct comparison at this point in order to, to, to enjoy yourself. So the question is, is this, is this, do we think that this Fulham team has the potential to be, you know, confined, put into the history books as one of the greatest ever yes yeah 100% absolutely yeah I can't remember having this much fun since the 23 undefeated run in 2017 2018 
And this is why you need to be getting to games at the moment, because we may not see another team like this for quite some time. We need to savor every minute. And if you can get to matches, get to matches. If you put what, off by a February is a, away. February is a bit of a bastard though. For is that the, <laughs> the midweek, midweek and Middlesbrough? I mean, you've got the midweek and Middlesbrough. You've got a trip to Hull. You've got a trip to Cardiff and you've got a trip to Manchester City. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a few trips that aren't for the faint hearted there. And uh, no doubt, uh, I, I think all of us will struggle to make all of them. Peter, are you gonna, you might make you Oh, on course for a, for a full house in February, yeah, yeah. So okay. um, good man. Just just a quick one on Jack's point. I do totally see Jack's point in that you can't really draw those comparisons unless unless to the you know two thousand two thousand and one team unless we win the league. But and also another point that and sorry to be bring us back down to earth, but the, it feels like the championship this year is particularly poor. And there's a lot of things that are going in our favour in terms of the squad that we've managed to retain and the financial input that we've had that. You know, I like we are. I'm absolutely over the moon how things are going. I think we're doing brilliantly. However, there are a lot of things, other things that are going in our favour, which maybe might muddy the waters a bit when making that comparison. That stuff does tend to fade into obscurity, though. If you know, if you're looking back at the team, I mean, we obviously look back at that season, and mostly I, I can only remember it because I had a VHS. Actually, I had a DVD of it. I think might be one of the first DVDs. One of the early DVDs. Yeah, um, <laughs> of, of that season. I used to watch it loads. So that's why you know my memories from that come from rewatching it rather than being there. Um, but I don't think we're looking at that being like, oh, I wonder how strong the first division was at that point. point. I think in ten years' time, if we're looking back at the season, if we go on and do win the league and touch wood, and we all hope that those things happen, you know, then I think we will look back at this team and and think, yeah, they were exceptionally special um i don't think that that would be my only take on that i think you know the the kind of caveats around the league and all are probably like and, and fulham had a very very strong team in 2001 it's worth remembering that you know there, there was a lot of very very high quality talent brought in to a division below and you look at you know obviously when when chris coleman was brought in he was the record transfer into that was when we were in division two if i'm not if i'm not mistaken but you know there was a lot of basically fulham of of kind of super powered the supercharged their charge up the leagues um and so i'd imagine there would have been a similar kind of caveat of what was going on then it probably just weren't as we weren't as exposed to it because we were so young right couple more serious questions before this will catch on uh, it's looming on the horizon uh, jack i'll go to you on this one uh, and peter you might have um something to say about it as well it's a, it's a transfers one it says loving the podcast as usual i have a question regarding transfers i'm uh, hearing that uh, the club are, are worried about an offer for, for mitrovic might be too good to turn down we've kind of discussed the mitrovic transfer a little bit um but he says if that did happen should fulham put in an offer for Andrea Bellotti he's a free agent in the summer and a similar striker do you think he would come he also talks about Sander Burge uh, being a player that he'd like also he wanted um, who would be a replacement for Tosin if a large offer came in for him says he knows it's silly season but he thought he'd just get your opinions and you guys know a bit more about European football than me I like Bellotti um, but do I think he would come probably not no um, even in the Prem maybe Maybe it might, you know, take a chance and, and want a chance himself in the summer. Maybe I don't think he'd join if there was a big offer in January. Um, but you know, from what I'm hearing, that pot- potential offer that looked like it was going to come in um, appears to have died down in terms of interest from the continent. So that's good news um, from from what I've been told, at the very least. Um, 
But yeah, no, I mean, I like Bellotti. Maybe in the summer, it would be a, an interesting bit of business. Um, obviously, you have to work quite hard if you're going to replace an, an Alexander Mitrovic because what he brings to this side. Um, you'd maybe look at bringing in someone who had a little bit more, it was a little bit more mobile. Um, if, if you were going to do that, I'd maybe look at trying to pinch someone off the Italian teams that was, was maybe a Raspadori, uh, who's, a, who's a little bit smaller and less kind of physical, but um, has a little bit more mobile or you go full out for someone like a Gianluigi Scramacca um, who has been absolutely ridiculous for uh, for Sassuolo this year and and is on looks like he's on the move, verge of a big move you might be able to pinch in there before he really hits the headlines um, aside from that the player I would actually go for and the player I would look to sign if we did lose Mitrovic is Arthur Cabral from Basel um, who has been in absolutely ludicrous form uh, across both the Swiss Super League and the Europa Conference League um, and got his first Brazil call-up, if I'm not mistaken, in, in October. Didn't play, but made the squad for the first time. That's the kind of player I think Fulham could probably get involved with. I think 20, 25 million would, would bring him out of Basel. Um, and I think he's he's on the on the up. So that's who I would replace Mitrovic with if, if things went absolutely peaked on. Although I think the, the, the ideal situation for everyone is just keep Alexander Mitrovic. Yeah, Peter, has there been much more on, it seemed like there was those kind of grumblings at the start of January of like Mitrovic to Juventus and then we all get Barrett and Diaz and that seems to have all calmed down a little bit, but that might just be because we're mid-January now and kind of like the beginning of January rush is gone and now everyone's just waiting for the 31st. I wouldn't bet against, uh, you know, a big team coming in for Mitrovic. Anyone, we talked about this before in terms of his form. I mean, just scoring the goals he is, you know, that's that's desirable. And in terms of a league, you'd probably say Serie A might suit him quite nicely. But um, for me, in terms of rumours this month, it's always felt a bit more like leverage, um, leverage for other players. He's quite a good one to to have in the public domain to to use his deflection for for other targets as well. Because in terms of where Mitrovic is at at the moment, I can't see him moving. Um, unless something ridiculous comes in. When we say ridiculous, I mean really ridiculous. And even then, it would probably be in the summer. So, um, yeah, not not really one. But you mentioned Tos in there, which I think is a really interesting point. Um, I think I mentioned it in the piece after Bristol City that you know there's been some talk about looking at centre-half. We've talked about how longer term it may be a position that needs to be looked at. Obviously, at the moment, depth is good, especially for the championship with Mawson, Hector, uh, Reem and Tosin. But with Reem's age and whatever, it's definitely one that I think is on the Fulham radar. Um, I don't think that means something would happen this month, but even without Tosin necessarily moving on, I think it's something that um, will have to be considered. And, and because Tosin's going to going to attract interest, but we had a really good game again against Reading. But yeah, for now, nothing shocking to, to Rubio. Okay, one more before this will catch on. Uh, and this was a really sad but lovely email for, from graham so thank you so much for getting in touch he says love the pod been listening since the start of the season very difficult time for me personally with my wife linda and fellow fulham fan at the end of her life with frontal temporal dementia at 56 you don't know how much the stuff that you do and others like you do helps people like me through the worst of times uh he suggests a chance which um is we've got marco silva as in the guardiola one um graham it is already a chance so you can't have that one for this will catch on 
but it is a good one. So at least you were on the right wavelength. Anyway, he says, great results tonight. Picks me up massively after my time in the nursing home today, which is full of sadness and upset, but also always restores my faith in the human race. The staff are just amazing. If you can give a shout out to all working in nursing and residential care homes and particularly Woodside Nursing Home in Slip End near Luton, that would be wonderful. Keep up the good work. And that is from Graham. Um, Graham, wishing you and Linda all the best. Um, Sounds like an awful time but we appreciate you listening nonetheless. I'm glad that it uh, gives you some happiness as does Fulham winning 7-0. That's enough to give anyone uh, a little bit of joy in their lives in this very, very difficult time. Right, this will catch on time. You've been sending in your chance. We rate them or slate them. Uh, The first one is from Danny. He says, this one is very simple, but it's a doozy. Mitrovic to the tune of Baby Shark, um, which is... No, no. (laughs) Stay out of my head. Get behind me Satan <laughs> which is just Mitrovic do, 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 no. Mitrovic do, 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 do. it's not catching on no. it's very catchy it's but it's not catching on the only thing it's going to catch on is in people's heads now no it's a naught for bringing Baby Shark <laughs> back into the public domain Danny fuming <laughs> We've already Sorry. got two two quality Mitrovic chants anyway, so yeah. No, I mean, no there is no, there is no market left for Mitrovic chants, um, particularly to Baby Shark. But Danny, thank you for getting in touch. Uh, this is another Mitro chant. I do quite like this. It's not catching on, but I do quite like it. This one's from Jack Copeland. He says, hey guys, so this one is a bit of old school, new school mashup to Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire, introducing a Fulham stalwart chant from back in the day with Mitro being on fire. Uh, and the chant is, we're going up because Mitro is on fire. He scores, 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 and the flames go higher. And now he burns, burns, burns. Mitro's on fire. Mitro's on fire. Really good. That's good. Big fan. And it's got another, I love the chance that have a section that, doesn't have any lyrics to it that people can just go like do you remember the scotty malone one too yeah super tramp where you just go da, 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 and everyone goes nuts those points in the air you could do that to the ring of fire is it Cash, is it so. bad that i've always always associated that chant with scooter rather than super tramp <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you on that one jack it's obviously both but like yeah, that, that's your because, default. No, but because that bit doesn't exist in the original. That the bit only song. exists in the Scooter rework. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. There's not like it's not given the same airtime. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as the as like an instrumental. Yeah, it's the same melody, but of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you you argue that the Scotty Malone was to scooter. It was one hundred percent. When if I was playing like a music thing for Fulham fans and they were like put the tune from the Scotty Malone song on, I would have put the scooter version of the logical song on. Yeah, you'd be giving half a point if for anything otherwise for the (laughs) Super Champ original. Uh, This one is, again, from Matt Wall. So he was the person that gave us all those stats on Fulham's goal scoring. He also put in a PS, which was uh, a chant for this will catch on. And I didn't want to give... Matt's being greedy here with two things, but it was a good chance. I felt like it was worthy. So one of them was doing our work for us. So to be fair, like that's a, that's a plus (laughs) that goes in the plus box, not the minus box. Um, Matt says, this is one of those tunes that everyone knows without knowing they know it. The key is not to be too tuneful. I've included the original lyrics below for guidance. Um, It's if you like pina coladas, 
Um, for Niskins Cabano by Rupert Holmes yeah Um, so it's yes we've got Niskins Cabano skinning you down the wing he plays for us and the Congo he joined us from Genk (laughs) 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 laying goals up for Mitro on the banks of the Thames he will score from a free kick we love you Niskins our friend yeah that's excellent I love it. I love it. Work out job. You're not doing that justice. That's quality. That's really good. <laughs> I enjoyed that one a lot. That's right, excellent. Have, that's that's an eight, maybe an eight and a half. That's quality. Um, we have two more, and both of these have recordings. So one of them is from last night, and some people that George and I met on the fifty bus back from Reading to the ground. Um, we were all a little bit giddy at the time. <laughs> lovely, um, lovely bunch of lads. They were so funny. Now, I don't have all of their names, but I only have one of their names. But his name was Andrew Lappin. Now, first of all, um, Andrew was lapping it up. No pun Wait. intended. Because he claims he created the chant last night which was manchester city we're coming for you um which i don't got... think he's created that no 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 no. <laughs> but apparently he says he started manchester city we're coming for you which was a good chant last night it was a funny moment uh, it got picked up by quite a lot of outlets that we were singing that last night which was enjoyable so if true well done andrew for that but they also came up with this absolute doozy of a chant which we were singing on the bus and this is a recording from the bus last night it's to abba's super trooper now there are not many chants to super trooper um and i very much enjoyed this one so here's a ropey recording from the bus Very good. That was me screaming and again oh, well done you really were a bit giddy what are the lyrics to that george it goes Harry Wilson, Mitrovic and Niskins playing black and white, scoring goals all night, make the championship look shite. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's very good. It was very catchy. And so I guess the fact that it did catch on on the bus has to be at least a nine out of ten. In fact, I'm almost going to say ten. Public. Yeah, it's up there, isn't it? It's up Because there. it has caught on. ABBA Super Troopers original. I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm in. Sold. Maybe it's a nine because it's difficult and maybe it would be struggling. No, no, no. That's good. I think that's good. I think that's it's not that difficult. It's not that tricky. It's not that long. People will like that. I think that's good. It's a 10 from me. It was was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Final one from Liam White, who says, longtime listener based in Washington, D.C., who lived near Fulham in the McBride era. Thank you for all you do, bringing the global Fulham family together. Been loving the This Will Catch On segment of the pod. Given the lack of variety in American sports charts, my intuition of knowing what type of songs make for great English football chant adaptations is still developing. Nevertheless, I wanted to workshop one, I love that, (laughs) that pays tribute to fellow Fulham fan Sam Smith. Is that a thing? Yeah, Sam Smith's a Fulham fan. Is he? Oh, didn't know that. Yes. Oh. Sam Smith support, is Who a doesn't Fulham support fan. Fulham these days? I feel like everyone's got some kind of loose connection, including him and Poach on Paul II. No, Poach on Paul II was a Fulham fan, like absolutely quality <laughs> bloke. Um, you know, there, there's two there's two separate issues there, but that that's true. Sam Smith has been to a Fulham game or or numerous. 
No, this is a proper one. He is actually a Fulham fan. Okay, right. Well, um, anyway, he says he wants to workshop one that pays tribute to fellow Fulham fan Sam Smith and unsung hero Marek Rodak. You are right. There aren't many chants at the moment for, for Marek Rodak. Um, so this is to the tune of I'm Not the Only One and he's <laughs> sung it. Your saves are crazy. A six foot four in Slovakian. And when he keeps a clean sheet, you know he's Fulham's number one. Oh, yes. That is quality. (laughs) It's way too slow and it's never going to catch on, but it's great. Absolutely (laughs) exceptional. Um, Can we have it again? Yeah, do it again. I want it again. One more time. Your saves are crazy. A six foot four inch Slovakian. That's the best. And when he keeps a clean sheet, you know he's Fulham's number one. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's nice that he's paid homage to a Fulham fan as well, because to my knowledge, there aren't any. Um, chance to the Maccabees or example. It's right. We're gonna work out. We'll, we'll workshop a chance to change the way you kiss me next week. That's uh, <laughs> that's where we're really gonna go for it, lad. Oh. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that workshop. The four of us. Yeah, what do you mean? You're not. You'll be a fly on the wall. You're gonna be on the phone to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stood around a flip chart trying to work out the uh... and a flip chart and a keyboard. We'll be all right. We'll work it out. You are the musician of the group, George. You will be expected hey. to no, take Jack, a lead. Don't, don't give Jack a disservice. Hey. He's a you don't boy, have a boy Jack, doesn't, Jack doesn't have a band though. You have not a band. Anymore, no, not anymore. Um, right, that'll do for the podcast this week. Thank you for all your emails. Keep sending them in. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. Um, it's an astonishing section of the pod that just keeps on growing every week. So thank you very, very much. Only thing we need to do is name the pod. Jack, what would you like to go for? Oh, it's, it's absolute nailed on. Stefano with 007. Brilliant. Brilliant. One of the how all-time do, greats. Uh, how do I write this? Is it... Double, then zero, and then the word seven? I think so, yeah. That's what I would go with. Uh, That's how I'd stylize it, yeah. Okay, fair enough. 007, Stefano, one of the greats. One of the best three-word reviews we've ever had. So uh, big pat on the back. I love when all of the um, comments below, like a, a standout three-word review, are just like, well, he's won then. Um, you just know that the people have given up. They realise that the game is over. Uh, thank you for listening today. Bit of a longer one, but again, how often do you win 7-0? Well, well twice quite in half often. season, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you, Sammy. Peter Rutzler. Thank you, Sammy. And George Cooper. Cheers, lads. Really enjoyed that. Come on, you whites. You whites. We'll be back after Saturday's game against Bristol City with all the reaction to that. Fingers crossed Fulham can make it 2-2. Have a great weekend. Come on, you whites. You know he's Fulham's number one.